Hello everyone. My name is Norez Rana and I'm an economist with the World Bank. I'll be hosting today's program on New Wave where we will be discussing a very crucial and an important topic that is often uh, not spoken of in mainstream media on mainstream channels and is often ignored given the importance that it truly deserves. Namely, we'll be talking about malnutrition, hunger and food security in the country which is uh, a leading a growing endemic and something of grave concern. Joining me today to discuss and deliberate upon the topic and the solutions is Mr. Nosher Khan. Uh Nosher is not just a specialist but he's also very passionate about uh food security, about feeding programs and has had years of experience behind him working in the development sector across Pakistan and he is currently the director of one of the most expansive school feeding programs in New York. Uh so thank you so much Nosher for joining us today. Thank you, Nadez. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise, uh, and I'm and I'm very much looking forward to having this discussion and deliberating upon key solutions based on what you've experienced working in the field. Uh, so, I would like to lay before we begin. I just want to lay the ground of what we will be discussing and what the issue is. Malnutrition uh, or undernourishment is is a chronic disease going through Pakistan. Over twenty percent of the country suffers from it. and uh, another stat that i would like to share that is more related to the children of the country almost half of them nearly half of them have stunted growth and almost 30% of them suffer from wasting now these numbers are, are staggering and they call for an unwavering attention and when we talk about malnutrition of course what implies is that uh, the immune system is compromised uh the kids the individuals are much more susceptible to diseases they hamper cognitive development and in the long term it perpetuates a cycle of poverty and underdevelopment in the country if we look at the bigger macroeconomic figures uh malnutrition or undernourishment is associated with costing the country about 7.6 billion dollars annually now these are huge figures especially for a country like pakistan who has been going back to the IMF for loans as little as little as 1 billion as 3 billion so given laying this laying the entire picture the purpose was to highlight how big and imperative this is and uh, like education like issues sectors of health and water it really merits not just a discussion but active intervention by the by the government the kids that we've spoken of right now they are the youth of tomorrow and the youth is the backbone of the country but unable to provide them with the basic necessity to grow as proper individuals we are putting the country in a downward trajectory we're setting it up for failure now when we control for socio economic factors and precisely income pakistan's level of malnutrition mal- malnourishment is is much worse than its regional comparators or countries who have the same income level So now coming to you I the question that I want to put forth is what are the other factors associated with malnourishment in the country based on your experience what are the best possible solutions how plausible are they and what would be the key points of entry or intervention when this problem needs to be addressed Thank you Norez um it, it truly is an expansive topic as malnutrition hunger and the food security nexus sits at the confluence of of a variety of different sectors which intersect with 
our day-to-day lives of Pakistanis or anyone, any citizen, um, pretty frequently. Um, I'd like to start this conversation by reframing the notion of malnutrition as not just undernutrition, but also as inappropriate nutrition and in certain cases overnutrition. And what I mean by that is that I think most folks have a understanding of, of, of mal, malnutrition or, or malnourishment as the idea that you are not getting enough calories to, to be able to sustain yourself on a daily basis. The truth of the matter is that that might not always be the case. Depending on whether you are talking about the urban markets in Pakistan or the rural market in Pakistan, you might be getting enough calories, but they might not be nutrient-rich, nutrient-dense calories. Um, this ends up creating a secondary problem, which is quite prevalent in Pakistan, which is something called hidden hunger. And hidden hunger refers to a malnutrition of a micronutrient deficiency. So these micronutrient deficiencies of, 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 of iron, vitamin A, vitamin B, um, and, and, and a host of other, uh, uh, you know, so-called micronutrients end up causing a huge slew and plethora of, of health issues amongst children who grow up to be undernourished and, and maladied adults. Um, then the other reality that exists in parallel to that of, of, of hidden hunger and, and undernourishment is that of overnourishment. Uh, Pakistanis genetically also are prone from a health perspective to having a higher visceral adipose tissue, to being more genetically prone about seven times more than their, uh, the, the, the sub-Saharan African counterparts of diabetes, uh, of having much more chronic heart disease and other essentially obesity-related illnesses because of either a sedentary lifestyle, depending on your socio-economic uh, bracket, uh, and paired that with a diet that is poor in dietary diversity. So, you know, when we look at malnutrition, we need to take it sort of all... Um, all in tow, and we have to look at the the entire picture. And these different realities are existing, um, sort of in parallel to each other throughout the country. Um, so the issues of of the primary issues of hunger in Pakistan, it's not necessary that you would think that it is a result of underproduction of food in, uh, in the country. When we so, look at food, yeah. So I go so, ahead. So, so, so just just to, just to clarify. Hunger and malnutrition can be two different things. There are nuances that exist between them. So you may be consuming the the right amount of calories, but you may not be consuming the nutrients that are needed for a healthy functioning body to exactly. grow or to sustain itself. Perfect. Yeah, Thank that, you. That's it exactly. Yeah. That, that differentiation is, is quite important. And I think one that, that a lot of Pakistanis end up suffering at the hands of. Um, so... You know, again, moving the conversation of food security or food insecurity away from just a availability of food, food security ends up sitting again on the nexus of, of, of four major concepts. The first being the availability of food, which is what I think most people have a general sense of, of when they refer to hunger or when they refer to malnutrition or when they think of Pakistan as a, uh, as a country where, where a lot of folks suffer from acute food insecurity. The second being that of food availability, which is when the food is, uh, sorry, uh, second that of being food accessibility, 
which is then if the food is available, the food is being produced, is it accessible? Is there farm to market access in there? Are there markets where people can go and walk up and essentially procure whatever they need, raw ingredients, poultry, vegetables, fruit, uh, in order to have a, a healthy diet? Uh, and infrastructure plays a big role in that, as well as education. So you have availability, you have accessibility, there becomes affordability. Now that you have these markets that are, that are created throughout the country, uh, can people afford? Does their purchasing power allow them to be able to, to buy the, again, the key ingredients that would allow them and to feed themselves uh, holistically and also their children? And then the fourth is a, is, is a notion of, of sustainability, which is a lot where our agricultural practices come into play as well. Are we farming in line with what the topographical and geographical landscape of the country looks like? Pakistan is a water-scarce country. It passed water stressed, I believe, in 1997. And ever since then, we have drawn down on our freshwater reserves and have started pulling a lot, as you know, in a lot of urban markets from our groundwater table. That groundwater table is very hard to replenish. And in the absence of, of consistent yet managed rains, it becomes quite hard to, again, replenish the groundwater table. It ends up in a fair amount of groundwater runoff. So the idea of uh, is our agricultural production aligned with our water, water availability? Is it aligned with the nutrient health of our soil? Is it aligned with the um, uh, essentially with the, the structure of, of, of the average farm in Pakistan? These four sort of considerations end up forming what we, you and I refer to as food security in Pakistan. So um, the before we even get into solutions, I think it's 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 quite important to, to paint a, a, a more vivid picture of, of what insecurity in Pakistan really is. Absolutely. I refer to hidden hunger, which is malnutrition um, at at a micronutrient level. Now, one way for us to you know resolve that is is food fortification of our staple crops. We know. I mean, uh, unfortunately, last year being an exception with, with, with the floods coming and a tremendous amount, a majority of our, of our agricultural um, sort of crop being damaged or compromised in some way. Other than that, the food production of Pakistan has been relatively stable. But what happens at that point is we have to start accounting for pilferage and waste. In countries like Pakistan, agrarian economies in Pakistan, underdeveloped or developing you know, countries like Pakistan, a majority of the food waste that is happening is not happening at the retail or consumer level. It is happening at the farm level. And that issue manifests itself in, the, in a lack of infrastructure for, for farmers to be able to sustain, sustainably uh, store their crop and their harvest. We, in the absence of silos, farmers end up storing their crops in, in non-temperature or humidity-controlled warehouses if they have access to it all, all in all. And that is a breeding ground for aflatoxin and, and lots of other types of uh, uh, pests and, and uh, yeah, micro-pests in, in, in particular crops, you know, makai uh, and, and, and wheat as the most, two most prominent examples. Um, and that ends up contributing a fair amount to the waste. And if any food shortage is created in Pakistan, you know that that waste 
it, it ends up forming a pretty large part of, of, of that conversation there. So in the, in the absence of that infrastructure, a small or micro or medium-sized farmer who does not have access to, to proper and appropriate storage solutions will try to offload their, their product as soon as possible, as, essentially as soon as it is harvested. This results in a vicious cycle of, 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 of poverty and debt-riddenness, at least at the farm level, which is the farmer who has taken loans in order to be able to secure the agri inputs required for him to plant in the first place, then has to repay those loans with interest, not just monetarily, but also has to commit a fair amount of his crop to the middleman who is purchasing this. The farmer has no leverage because he has no storage capacity. So it's not like he can wait till strawberries are in low season to in order to be able to sell it for a higher price. He has to sell it when they're in high season. And at that time, you see a supply glut. When the supply glut comes, it is the consumer technically that ends up winning, but the farmer at the same time is, is losing. The middleman is end, ending up profiting on, on, in both scenarios because the middleman ends up to be able to store. Yeah. And, and I think even more than the consumer, it's a middleman that takes undue advantage and exploits the nature of this supply glut because uh, the farmer, he has little leverage, less leverage to negotiate the price due to the time window that he has because of lack of infrastructure that you rightly pointed out. And the same way the consumer actually ends up paying more, the end, and the end consumer, as we've witnessed the prices of food products, staple food products going, like food inflation going up as, as high as 40% in the country. Yeah, yeah abs <clears throat> sorry, absolutely. Um, now, if we get into solutions for this particular situation, it can and should be the responsibility of the government to help finance the agri-input for these farmers in the first place in order to allow them to not enter into this vicious cycle of debt and repayment. Simultaneously, if there is either private or public-private blended investment happening in the storage farm infrastructure, that is a benefit that both that will be felt at the farm level. It will be felt along the supply chain all the way to the consumer who will have ready and access to a much larger diversity of, of products throughout the year at a very stable price, as opposed to relying on the fluctuation of, of, of a market that, um, you know, that, that unfortunately is not resilient at this point. Our supply chains in Pakistan are not climate resilient. So, in the in the absence of that infrastructure, you know, th those who have the means get to afford a certain degree of dietary diversity all year round, and those who do not absolutely have to, unfortunately, perish at the hands of of these uh, very volatile um, uh, price fluctuations. Um, you know, so that that is one step where 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 a appropriate amount of, of both public and private investment can come in in order to start curbing the um, the incidence of food insecurity in the country. This happens at the infrastructure level. Uh, naturally, this infrastructure has to expand into a, into greater roads, which is the mantra for any developing country. But the greater greater roads essentially creates more markets, and what we need to do is create more regulated and and, and covered markets in Pakistan. Market yes, exactly. The farm to market access has to be is paramount. These farmers need to have some place to sell their product into. Um, and these farmers need a way to be able to get there. So, and, in, in the, 
Yeah, and just just to kind of follow your point, I think when we talk about the levels of malnutrition, as I initially pointed out, according to the UN's World Food Program, nearly half the children are malnourished. Uh, you know, they do not have access to you know proper nutrition. But there's a lot of disparity within those numbers as well, because if we disaggregate that data based on rural and urban divide, we would see the numbers increase drastically if you focus on the rural areas where there's lack of access, where the lack of channels for these food marketplaces to be set up, where, you know, there's obviously less infrastructure, road infrastructure, or um, uh, yeah, storage infrastructure as well. So we see it decreasing in urban centers. Yeah. Tends to follow a script that is for development. Uh, I'm sorry, please continue. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, and and therefore I think because it's not visible to the eye, for most policymakers they tend to ignore this topic and it's not talked about as often because when whenever we are in urban centers, you know, namely there are very few of them, or Karachi, Islamabad, so on and so forth, we don't see the stark reality in front of us. But Pakistan is much bigger. It's a much it's a much denser and a much populous country. And uh, where the, the rights and the responsibilities of, of of those who are at the base of the pyramid tends to be ignored. Very much so. I, I think it is impossible to disassociate food as a, as a concept, as a responsibility of the government from the socio-economic and socio-political reality of, 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 of a nation like Pakistan as well. Land does not vote, unfortunately. People vote and rural areas are less populated than urban areas as a result of which rural areas also end up receiving less investment because the return on investment for securing votes uh, is is just higher in urban areas. Uh, so large infrastructural projects tend to primarily be either located in or around the major urban centers of Pakistan, Islamabad, Karachi, Peshawar, Multan, Faisalabad. Um, and you know the idea is that that is where a, a, a very large concentration of, of markets are being developed as well. Whereas that market development and the farm-to-market access needs to be a proliferated and dispersed concept essentially throughout the country in order to create equitable access to affordable and um, um, available nutrition and food for, for all. Um, so no, you're absolutely right that um, this 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 ends up this rural and urban divide is not just a reality for Pakistan. Unfortunately, it is one felt by a lot of developing countries, our neighbors to the east, in India, our neighbors to the west, in, in both Afghanistan, Iran, or Bangladesh, wherever you want to look across the South Asian belt, we end up seeing this rural and urban divide pretty intensely. We are, I think, in a certain way on the right side of history, that over the last 20 years, there has been a, a steady decline in food insecurity, both, both at the farmer level, at the rural level, and uh, in large parts at the urban level as well. At the onset of our conversation, you mentioned the statistics of, of stunting and, and wasting in children. These, as of now, represent the biggest ticking time bombs for a country like Pakistan, a country that is expected to have over um, 250 million people over, over the next 25 years, uh, with the largest youth, youth bulge being within the top 10 countries of the entire world. 360 million. Sorry? 360 million. Like the, the, oh, yeah, yes. the, the expected rate of growth currently oh. places Pakistan at 360 million. That is uh, how, yeah. And with, sorry, and, and with the largest youth bulge of within the top 10 countries of, of, of any, you know, of the, the 198 plus countries in the, in the United Nations, 
inappropriate investment in the nutrition infrastructure of a country like that, which has a stunting rate of 44% and a wasting rate of over 13%, which is amongst two of the, the highest rates in the entire world, comparable only to countries in sub-Saharan Africa. That represents a, a failure, both of public policy, of market, of access, of nutrition, of education. Um, and in the absence of curbing that, the negative and detrimental impact it's going to have both in reduced economic productivity and the added burden on our public health infrastructure mm -hmm. is going to be quite severe. So as if, if I'm to identify two priorities or three priorities for the country to, to, to move us, to move this food security conversation into a dimension that allows us to be able to tackle it responsibly, the three things I really would say is one, improving the uh, on-farm storage infrastructure. Second is ensuring that the either there is <clears throat> rented finance or capital available for strengthening of climate resilient value chains, which is supply chains or also, also known as supply chains, uh, irrespective of the crops. And then the third would be investing in sufficient education um, and awareness and social safety protection measures like uh, the Benazir Income Support Program that allow individuals to either augment their purchasing capacity or have access to appropriate nutrition um, at the formative years of their life. Because unfortunately, once the first five years of a child's life are, are, are sort of conducted, and if they have suffered either acute or severe acute malnutrition in those years, it becomes quite hard to reverse the cognitive and physiological impact of, of that malnutrition in, in, in the first five years. So it has to be a timely intervention. It has to happen within the first five years. Public health infrastructure needs to support uh, the educational awareness component of what a healthy diet, nutritional and, and dietary diversity, uh, and, and the notion of, of, of nutrition at an early age is, and it, you know, Measures like like the one I'm involved in in the United States of a of a school feeding program, you know these end up serving as some of the biggest unlockers uh, of not only increasing the nutritional health of a young and growing populace, but at the same time also serving as an incentive for education. And that same education is what we what what we need again in order to to boost the the both the sociocultural. Uh, socio-educational uh, and the general uh, sort of well-being of 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 a pretty fastly growing uh, young population. Well, thank you so much, Nasher, for shedding light and sharing these solutions and these interventions that need to be made and implemented as soon as possible if we are to address this issue of malnutrition in Pakistan, uh, which is, I think, uh, and like I earlier mentioned, is the backbone backbone of the future given our youth bulge and the way our country's population is expanding. Now I want to pivot the conversation a bit more towards, uh, towards hunger that is linked with our agricultural practices. You've already shared a fair amount of uh, the shortcomings that exist across the agricultural value chain. But I wanted to focus a bit more on the levels of productivity and how we have been going about it. So we claim, and uh, I mean, rightly so to some degree, that Pakistan is an agrarian economy. We contribute, like the agricultural sector contributes 19.2% towards the country's GDP, 
it employs over 38% of the population. But despite all that, what we see is that Pakistan's, uh, the productivity of agricultural water is 37%. That is the that is in the lowest decile globally. The productivity of irrigation practices for major crops is again, one of the lowest in the world. You mentioned wheat earlier on. Uh, Pakistan over the last, I think, four out of the last six years or so, Pakistan has had to import wheat in order to fulfill or satisfy the demands of its local population. So despite having such a vast uh, you know, land available for irrigation, being an agricultural economy, being an agrarian economy, still we are failing across so many different aspects. We're not, you mentioned four aspects, uh, one of accessibility, affordability, sustainability, and one of the earlier ones was uh, being able to produce enough, right? So we have, it seems so that we're failing to produce enough or at least deliver enough. That is the need of our, of our population. And we are the fifth most populous country in the world. What needs to be done? Do we need to revisit, reevaluate our agricultural practices, integrate digital farming, uh, integrate technology, make better use of our water resources. You already pointed that out. What can be done better to make our production more efficient, at least so that we are at the level where we can satisfy the the food demands of our of our own local population? Yeah, that's that's a great question and and, and a question that needs to be addressed in light of the um, the growing crisis of food insecurity again, at the production level in Pakistan. Um, Norris, I think the, uh, this question also sits at the, at the nexus of, of both policy, awareness, and, and, and infrastructure. So I've alluded already to the requirements of, of again, on-farm uh, storage infrastructure that is required. Now, if you look at the farmer himself, um, in order for us to be able to truly improve the lives of that farmer, not just from an agricultural practice perspective, that farmer needs to have access and needs to have title ownership of that land. So without getting too into the, the, the political ramifications of what a equitable land redistribution in Pakistan can look like, so that a farmer is not constantly beholden to the lease, um, uh, to whom, whomever has, has leased him that land, Having access to that land allows that farmer to be able to uh, sort of gain an, uh, a collateralized asset that they can use in order to maximize their procurement of agri-imports, in order to maximize the procurement of, of uh, essentially on-farm, not necessarily digitization, but mechanization. Most farmers don't have access to any type of mechanical uh, equipment on the farm. And unfortunately, the size of their farm does not warrant uh, the either the ability or even perhaps in certain cases the necessity of, of having things like threshers or tractors. So having access to the to essentially to the lease of the land and to the title of that land allows them to be able to to use that land in order to to, to start making a micro level investment in the mechanization of that agriculture. Pakistan is a relatively under mechanized. Uh, agricultural state. That I would say is 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 one. Uh, the other notion is around policy on what it means to tax our agricultural output. 
At this point, Pakistan's agriculture output is severely undertaxed. In certain cases, it's 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 nominal, um, and the informality of our taxation infrastructure really robs the country of a sufficient tax base, particularly in a country that is, like you said, an agrarian economy and 19% plus of our GDP relies on that agricultural output. But in order to, to bring us essentially into the 21st century and make us competitive with the both the climate and the market realities of, of, of the modern economy. We need to move our agricultural practices away from flood farming. We need to stop investing so much in, in water intensive crops, crops where we have a very short shelf life in terms of global marketplace and competitiveness. And we need to start divesting some of that investment into, uh, I think you referred to it as digital agriculture. It can also be referred to as hydroponic farming or aeroponic farming, and essentially indoor farming that utilizes more less than one tenth of the water required to to um, uh, to harvest and, and and water maybe you know an acre if we're looking at that a comparison. The initial investment is more naturally because you have to create the infrastructure, but the running costs are significantly less, and more than that said the water uh, utility is, is is significantly less there are some farmers now who have, have taken this upon themselves and are experimenting with all types of hydroponic farming setups in in, in pakistan and, and you know luckily doing quite well so on one end yes that divestment needs to happen into what we can call modern agriculture countries that are already water scarce countries like israel countries like like qatar uh, uae have invested a lot in this infrastructure and are reaping the rewards of it slowly but surely. The other is making sure that that our agriculture production, even if it retains a uh, in in the conventional agricultural setup, we are using modern farming techniques. Now, for rice, you know, techniques like alternative wet and, wetting and drying, um, that allows again us to to minimize. The, the the water consumption that uh, uh, such a heavy and such a, a largely sort of applied crop in Pakistan like rice ends up taking. Additionally, making sure that we give enough time to our soil to be able to replenish and regenerate its nutri nutrient health. Our, the nutrient health of our topsoil has been exponentially eroding because of heavily irrigated um, conventional farming. And every time we dig it up and every time we flood the fields, you know, the nutrients go with it. Uh, aside from the fact that, again, it, 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 it is a waste of water, it also ends up leaving us quite susceptible to, to a, a nutrient-less soil that is just not as productive. So every year, the farmer is getting a lesser and a lesser yield for that product. Now, there is a fair amount of, of, of fertilizer used in Pakistan as well. But unfortunately, for, uh, the fertilizer that we use is chemical fertilizer and it is over-applied, which again contributes to the deterioration of the topsoil health. So having awareness, having the infrastructure and the again the availability of organic fertilizers available on farms as well allows these farmers to start slowly replenishing the, the health of that topsoil. 
there's a fair amount of other agricultural practices uh, where we see that cohabitate essentially with topsoil uh, nutrient replenishment that have been applied in, in, you know, in a lot of countries in Southeast Asia, in Central America, even a lot uh, in India. Um, because India found themselves in a very similar position as ours after the Green Revolution. Uh, but have slowly taken a both centralized state perspective and a individual farmer uh, sort of awareness in order to and, and, and proaction in order to start replenishing their soil health, realizing the impact it has on the domestic food security and the uh, the economy on all. Um, so I think at, at the farm level, you, you know, using or making our farmers more climate resilient by ensuring that the the uh, infrastructure that they're uh, or the, let's say the seeds even that they are utilizing are either drought resistant or flood resistant, depending on where they are in, in, in the country. Um, having access to that, investing on our end in agricultural universities that allow the, um, the research and development of local crops that will end up maximizing our yield because they are developed in the context of the unique sort of climate of Pakistan. That ends up serving as a, as, as a very large policy level and investment level that, that a country like Pakistan can use. And again, then integrating that into the, the market access that the farmers currently are part of. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, there's no silver bullet here, unfortunately. There is a fair amount of, of relatively complex but straightforward in, um, uh, both policy and infrastructural sort of investments and decisions that need to be made. But these three or four major ones, I think, end up making Pakistan's agrarian economy a bit more resilient, both to climate shocks and, and, and market volatilities, and allow us to be able to modernize our agriculture, both from a yield perspective uh, and from a uh, diversity, uh, you know, uh, I guess, lens, uh, so that we can grow more of a diverse sort of crop variety and we can grow it year round as opposed to having to rely on 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 the seasons which are now constantly in flux of of, of the amount of of uh, yeah, sort of climate vulnerability that Pakistan finds itself in. No, no, to, to be honest, Noshir, I'm compelled to say that all these are like phenomenal suggestions. And I think while there may not be one any one single silver silver bullet, but you know, have been creating a more uh, umbrella policy that focuses on these agricultural practices, this is very doable. And I think that the policymakers who are at the helm of affairs and in charge of addressing this issue should take key notice of these ideas, of these suggestions, which have been implemented in other parts of the world and can very well be replicated because A, it does not really need a lot of investment in terms of finances and economic viability. It only, what it needs is some will, some intent and some reevaluation and revisiting of existing practices and modernizing them in line, in alignment with what our needs are and what our challenges are given climate change, given water scarcity, and, and also, you know, the economic crisis that we're in. And uh, not to mention that according to the Global Health Index, we are we rank 99th out of 121 countries. And according to the same index and the same calculation, it is estimated that only 46 countries of the world will not be able to migrate from serious hunger to low hunger. And Pakistan is one of those countries. So therefore, it calls for an even 
bigger urgent need to readdress these issues, to reevaluate these policies that are there. And uh, before we end, I just want to point out one other thing, virtue or curse of being an economist, I have to make that link, that there's a huge link between hunger and the country's economy. Now, there was this, um, the last household integrated economic survey that was conducted by the Pakistan Bureau of Statistics in 2018 to 19, highlighted the fact that expenses on food for an average household account for 37% of their household income. And if we go into rural areas or low-income households, this proportion goes even higher, where they're spending 50% just to satisfy their food needs. And you know, there's an economic concept, there's a development concept that the less you have to spend on non-food-related expenses, the less likely you are to invest in your own self, in your own well-being, whether that's education, whether that's healthcare, whether that's extracurricular. And if we look at developed countries, they spend five to six or eight percent at most on food-related expenses, and then they have enough to spend on themselves. So even at the micro level and at the macro level, there's an urgent need for us to make food much more accessible and affordable so that the country can develop, the youth can develop, the individuals can develop, and you know they can contribute in a much more healthy and a productive manner. But uh, thank you so much for your, for your time. Uh, if you have any last words of wisdom, please do share. But I think it was a, it was a great conversation and there were some very key takeaways which, uh, I, and uh, I had a lot to learn myself personally. No, I, uh, I think we, we all do. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely at the forefront of that, of that learning curve here. Uh, no, I, thank you very much for that, that, that wonderful summary. And yes, I wholeheartedly concur with you that the, the economic impact and the cultural impact that, that hunger takes on a country is in, in, in certain ways, it's, it's unfathomable. Uh, and if we want to invest in, a steady yet developing, productive, healthy, well-balanced workforce for a country like Pakistan, there is no option but to invest in our food security uh, infrastructure, both from a policy perspective and, like I said, from a, from a physical infrastructure perspective as well. Um, Absolutely. So, no, that, 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 that would be my closing note. But thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure having this conversation. No, thank, thank you for being with us, Nasher.